Well, good morning, everyone. We're very glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. If you're visiting with us for the very first time today, or maybe the first time in a long time, uh, we would like to put in your hands a packet of information that tells you a little bit more about Alden Union Church, uh, some of the things that are going on here, how you can get involved, and stuff like that. So if you're visiting for the first time, the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand? Pastor Kevin will make his way down the center aisle and would love to give you one of those packets of information. In there, you'll find the card that you could fill out and drop in the offering plate later so we might be able to acknowledge your visit by letter. Uh, while that's going on, if you would take the uh, friendship pads on the outsides of the pews, if you would fill those out and pass them down, we would appreciate that. A bunch of announcements to draw your attention to. Everything is in the bulletin, but we just want to draw your attention to these. Next Sunday is the deadline for registering uh, for the women who are planning to be a part of the Evening of Elegance on June 13th, so make note of that. Uh, please read the invitation to be involved in a very important summer ministry. We've got some gaps that we need some help with, uh, specifically in the nursery this summer. So if you're going to be around even on a given Sunday, would you take a look at that and see how you can help serve and fill in some of those gaps to care for our young ones in the nursery? There's an invitation to support the high school mission team headed to Place of Promise this summer. There's an invitation and announcement about a second and final AED training that's happening today. You can get those details in the bulletin. If you want to be encouraged, you can read about the response for food items for the food pantry. Uh, that have, that's gone in the bulletin and, and good source of encouragement there. There's a bunch of inserts that you'll want to make sure you take note of. Several of them have to do with Alden Bible Camp. Uh, there's information about how you can get involved, uh, the help that's needed, crafts that, or craft supplies and other supplies that are needed. So take a look at those two inserts and make sure you take note of those. Uh, do note that we would like to have all children registered by June 19th because camp begins on the 22nd. So start looking at Alden Bible Camp and be praying for that. Now, many thanks for your prayers and participation in the EG's Run, Walk, Rock-a-thon yesterday, as well as the Men's Life Skills Day that happened. You'll also notice in the bulletin there's an insert about advanced physical and aquatic therapy. If that interests you, take a look at that. And then lastly, if you don't mind, we'd encourage you to join us tonight for the evening service. We'll be uh, accepting new members and praying with them and then going downstairs for a time of fellowship with them afterwards. Uh, a good chance to encourage them as well as to be blessed and, and participate in corporate worship. So we encourage you to come this evening. Would you join me as we spend a moment quieting ourselves and looking to the Lord in prayer together? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege we have of gathering this morning that we might worship you together as a body. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for giving us the strength that we needed to get here. And Father, we recognize that we bring a great deal of baggage in with us. Things that have gone wrong this week, things that we've been struggling with, uh, thoughts that are consuming our minds, distractions that maybe are right in front of us even right now. But our heart's desire is that we would worship you well in spirit and in truth this morning. So we pray for your help in putting aside all those other things and putting aside the distractions and putting aside the other thoughts that we might center our focus on you. 
that our eyes would be on you and you alone, that we might worship you well, that our hearts might be prepared for what your Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives this morning, for the way that you want to teach us in your word through him. We pray that our worship would be pleasing and acceptable to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul told the believers in Philippians that they worshiped by the Spirit of God and that they gloried in Christ. Our first hymn is an opportunity for you to glory in Christ. That means to just rejoice in what he is to us and what he is for others. So would you turn in your hymnal to 117, We Come, O Christ, to You. We'll sing stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 5. 1, 2, 4, and 5, just omit 3. Let's stand together.
Now, greet each other as people who love each other and praise the Lord with each other. Take a few moments. Good to see you loving each other. As I was reading this week through the passages of Scripture that the pastor will be preaching from, there was a phrase that stuck out in my mind. It appears several times, and it's one that we don't like to talk about, but the phrase was, don't be like the hypocrites. And as I read through selected verses from that passage, notice the recurring ideas, and the pastor will speak to, the, speak to those today. This is from Matthew 6. Don't be like the hypocrites. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, 
for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm going to take a few moments and have put on the screen just a brief prayer of confession. We have that. That um, confesses our tendency to put on airs to act out our faith so others can see that. Oh, I'm sorry. It's in your bulletin. I forgot. We put it on the screen for the first service. Yeah. Sorry, Sam. (laughs) You'll find it there in your bulletin. And I encourage you to read that slowly, carefully, prayerfully, and let the Lord speak to you. And then we'll take a few moments just to silent prayer. And uh, then we'll continue our worship. Father, we don't like to be called hypocrites, but we know that there's a very fine line between being real and not being real. And we confess that often we do fall into that category. Thank you that through Christ, as we confess that sin and others like it, we receive forgiveness and cleansing. And we do that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Now, turn in your hymnal to number two, right at the beginning, a song which gives you a chance to respond, asking God to work in His His grace in your life. Hymn number two, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, let's stand and sing. from the 
seated. Would you join me and pray together with me? Father, we've just sang that what's important is our hearts. And this morning, as we're reminded that uh, we look at the outward appearance, but you look at the heart, we ask you this morning to search our hearts and know what's there and see if there's any wicked way in us. We spent time in confession this morning, but I trust it came from our hearts and not just words, that we were real and authentic in what we told you and saying the same thing about our sin as you would say and repenting of that sin. Our worship is to be authentic this morning. And we pray we just haven't sung words. And we're not just praying words now, but we are truly saying what we want to say and what we mean. Help us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Help our focus this morning to be on you as we sing, as we pray, as we listen to your word. May we be reminded that it's coming from you. It's about you. It's you speaking to our hearts and asking us to follow you to demonstrate you to others. We want the focus of everything we do to give credit and glory to you and not to us. We ask you to help us to really love others because we love you. That even this morning, as we think about others, that we remember some in prayer by name that we know. Each of us knows different individuals who are going through different challenges and struggles family challenges, financial challenges, job situations, illnesses. And I trust we love each other enough to pray for each other, for your strength and your help. May we encourage each other with words this morning. May we look for ways to meet others' needs that are here in the body and demonstrate your love through what we do. May we love others enough to share your gospel with them. And each week as we pray for military individuals we know and for our missionaries, for our college students, it's easy just to say they should be the ones sharing where they're at. And we want to be people that authentically and really know that if we don't share your word with others, they'll go to hell. We pray you would really help us to serve out of love for you. And as we've seen this morning, shared this morning, some of the areas that we need workers, in Alden Bible Camp, community picnic, in the nursery, in other ministries that we would really want to serve and make it more about you and not about us. We know as we give this morning, we will demonstrate what we really think about you. 
that you'll know what our hearts are like, whether we're giving cheerfully, whether we're giving sacrificially. And we pray that that demonstration of what we give now will be a true demonstration of who we are because of you and how much we want you to take some of what you've given us and use to further your ministries here and around the world. And so we pray this morning that you be honored and glorified in us, that we would be true, real followers of you, and others would see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Amen.
children can leave for kids' worship. As I've heard that song, I thought we could each sing that each morning and when we wake up as just a short, simple prayer. More of you, less of me. It's what I need, it's what I want. You'll see on the screen, I think really this time, there, slightly different text to the tune you know well, brethren, we have met to worship. Let's stand together, sing this as our way of preparing to hear God's word taught to us. Can we do that? Let's stand together. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we preach God's holy word? All is vain unless the Spirit finds in us a willing heart. Let us come then humbly. Please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your presence here with us and within those who know the Lord Jesus as Savior. And we ask that you'd help each one of us to be very honest with ourselves. May the penetrating work of your Holy Spirit do a great job in each one of us as we examine a topic that perhaps is not something that we would want to admit to in general. But many of us may need to have you do some work in us. So we pray that you would help us to cooperate with what you're doing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Kind of an odd title this morning. One of the other pastors must have picked it. Um, no, I guess I did. Why to be? Why be slow to fast? And we're looking at Matthew chapter six as we continue our study in Matthew's gospel. Interesting that in verse one, Jesus says, "Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven." And it's so important to the Lord Jesus that he then lists three examples of how this is done, how it is done where we practice righteousness so that other people can see. And the first one is giving to the needy, and that begins in verse 2. And then comes the whole idea of prayer, beginning in verse 5, which led us into the Lord's Prayer. And by the time we come to verse 16, the third example is fasting. So we've got giving, and we've got praying, and we've got fasting, and we've got a warning from Jesus, be careful that you're not doing these three things plus anything else, simply so that other people will recognize you and will reward you. So this is then the third time in the first 18 verses of Matthew 6 that Jesus is issuing that warning to his followers not to show off how religious they are or how religious they want other people to think they are. Now, that's hypocrisy that we're talking about, and that's the thing that's not real easy for us to deal with. And we're going to see that, but we'll see that a little bit later on in the context of knowing all about what fasting is like, and we'll see some of those at that particular time who would be hypocrites when it came to that area. In verses 1 to 8 and verses 16 to 18 in particular, there's a common thread that is running through. And seven times that thread surfaces. The thread has to do with the idea of rewards. Rewards and recognition at the same time. I'm going to ask you several times at the beginning, particularly of the message, to be looking at the text before us, either on any type of device that you may have or in your scriptures if you have your Bibles open. But as you're looking through here, you'll see that thread that is there. You'll see in verse 1, no reward from your Father in heaven. There's no reward coming to those who are trying to get their own reward from people on earth. You'll see as you keep glancing through in verse 2, they've received their reward. Now, who's received the reward? Those who are playing to the crowd, those who are playing to an audience rather than uh, playing to the Lord. You'll see it in verse 4. Um, that the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then you'll see a little bit later on, uh, they have received their reward. The end of verse 5, verse 6, the same thing. One who sees in secret will reward you. By the time we come to verse 16, and excuse me, rather, in uh, it's still in verse 16, yeah. They have received their reward. And then at the end of verse 18, your father will see, who sees in secret will reward you. So that thread is there, that thread of rewards, either not receiving a reward because we're going about it the wrong way or receiving a reward because we are going about it the right way. So that's a choice that is left up to us. Do I want to set myself up for the rewards that God gives or set myself up for the rewards that come from human acclaim And according to what Jesus says, there's no contest there. The choice that I should be making is that my Father who sees in secret is the one who's going to be rewarding me because I am not trying to gain my reward from other people. And so giving to the needy, praying, 
fasting, they're not opportunities for us to play to the crowd, but to serve the Lord Jesus himself in humility. That's what he wants us to do. We've already looked at giving to the needy. We've already looked at praying already. It's been a number of months ago. The point again, according to verse 1, we don't practice righteousness to be seen by people. To be seen or to be noticed is related to the term from which we get theater. It means a spectacle to be gazed at, and that's not what we're looking to do. Living righteously, living the way God wants us to do, is no theatrical performance. Our lives are not lived on stage to try to get applause and to get approval from human beings. Once again, if you glance back at the text that is before us and you look at verse 1 and you look at several of the verses that are following, you'll see that the words to be seen are present very often. To be seen, and uh, it's in verse 1 once again. You can see it as you look as you follow through in verse 4. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. You'll see it as you continue looking down through verse even verse 6. Uh, that they may be seen by others, excuse me, verse 5. And then in verse 6, uh, your Father who is in secret, in verse 6, who sees in secret, will reward you. So there's a lot of seeing going on. There's seeing in secret that God sees, and there's seeing by the other people. And by the time we get to verse 16, uh, we see that we may be seen by others. Uh, the same thing happens again later on in verse 18. May not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We also read that our Father knows. So there's a lot of seeing going on, a lot of knowing that is going on. Again, the same as it is with the rewards, it depends on who it is that we're playing to. Are we playing to the crowd that's pictured on the screen? Or are we playing to the audience of one? which is the way that the Lord Jesus is telling us we should be doing, that audience of one being God himself. It's all about motive. And what we're warned against is to avoid showing off. Don't call unnecessary attention to yourself. And don't worry if you're not given the credit that you think is due to you. If nobody notices all the work you've put into something, nobody understands everything that you've offered, and somebody else is even getting some of the recognition and some of the credit, Jesus says, don't worry about that. We understand in the Scriptures we're told to encourage each other. We're told to even be thankful for one another. But we're also, at the same time, we're told that we're not to be flattering one another. And the point that's being made here, it's not self-promotion. We can promote others, but it's not self-promotion. Or that's wrong. That's hypocrisy. Again, it's all about motive. And Jesus says, if you don't heed the warning then the reward you may have received from God will be forfeited. Again, the choice. Do you want God's reward or do you want the reward of playing before the crowd? Now you'll notice the reference, and we've also mentioned it earlier in the prayer, the reference to hypocrites in verse 2, in verse 5, and in verse 7. And when we act that way as a hypocrite, you know the definition of a hypocrite from the scriptures from the greek language it meant a two-faced or somebody who's wearing a mask it means that what we're showing to people is not the real us we're showing them what we want them to see god is looking at the heart so we've got this picture that is before us when we're acting as a hypocrite and we're being two-faced that's when the world is looking at us and the world is pointing a finger at us and saying you christians are hypocrites you people in the church are hypocrites. 
And this is the thing that we don't want to hear because I don't believe anybody in here would want to be called a hypocrite. But let me ask you a question. Do you think we have any hypocrites present today? Are you one of them? It's not as easy to put the hand up then, is it? Uh, we shy back from that because I don't, I don't want to think that I'm a hypocrite. But somebody is, or why else are people pointing a finger all the time, not just this church, every church, and saying, look, that place is filled with hypocrites. My next-door neighbor is no different than I am, uh, except on Sunday, uh, because on Sunday my next-door neighbor might go to church. Or you might hear something like this, the church is filled with hypocrites. She's not the same person in the outside world as she is in the church. Or that Christian puts on a good show, but you should see him in real life. And they want to point a finger and say they're hypocrites because they're putting on that mask. That's the theme again in verses 16 through 18. The hypocrite is engaged in self-promotion. He wants to be fasting, but he's not content just to be fasting. He wants to be sure that everybody knows he's fasting. So let's look like it. Let's look like we're hungry. Let's put that look on our face so that people will come up to us and think, person must be fasting or mourning or something. But what a, what a godly person that one must be. So we're going to try to place fasting this morning in its biblical context so we can see more about what fasting is and what's going on with regard to fasting when Jesus is issuing this warning. We don't say a lot about fasting. In fact, probably some of you have never heard a message about fasting. Um, as far as I can remember, in 30-some years, we've talked about it maybe three times, maybe four times. So let's, let's examine it a little bit. First of all, asking the question, what is fasting? I think we're all familiar with the term fasting because it's all over today. It's not necessarily biblical fasting, but it's the fad of fasting for diet and for health and for other kinds of things. And you're familiar with some of these terms that we see, the 24 our fasting diet. You may be familiar with that. That was big news in the last year or two. Or the 48-hour fasting diet, which is twice as bad. Or the 5-2 diet. Some of you may be familiar with that as well. This is a, uh, an article on the internet, January 2014. It says, for all those January dieters hoping to shed the holiday bulk, they have the term, and maybe you're familiar with this, intermittent fasting. It even has its own acronym. It's referred to as IF. So that was a trend that came about the beginning of last year to help people get through the extra pounds of the holidays. And it was said of that the trend was sparked with this 5-2 diet based on a book called The Fast Diet by certain authors, the diet involves intermittent fasting throughout the week to shed stubborn bulge. You fast for two days of the week, but not completely. You eat one-fourth of your typical daily calories, roughly 500 calories for women, 600 calories for men, and eat what you desire the remaining five days. And that part of it sounds pretty good. So you feast for five days, fast for two days. And that sounds pretty good. The rewards for that? Here's what they promise. Incredible weight loss and a reduced appetite. Other perks include living longer, looking younger, and even warding off dementia. Now, I could probably sell a lot of people on that diet just for those perks and those rewards that are there. Here's the problem. <clears throat> New diets have hit the scene. Then the 4-3 diet created by different individuals involves fasting on alternate days. So this time, four days fasting, or feasting, four days feasting, three days fasting. 
Sounds better, doesn't it? Get to, get to eat a little bit more now. I like the seven zero diet myself. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but that one appeals to me. But you know, we're saddened when we hear about people abusing their bodies and people even die because they ex- go to extremes in fasting as well as other things that are supposed to be good for them. But we hear very little about biblical fasting anymore. Sincere Christians have questions about fasting. Now, I know that it's probably not at the top of the list of your questions, but maybe it's on your list somewhere. Questions like this. Am I required by the teaching of the Bible to be fasting? Or a question like this. Doesn't fasting belong to the Old Testament law, and isn't it a part of what the Pharisees do, and isn't it something that I should avoid today? Somebody else would ask it a different way. Isn't this legalism if you say that we should be fasting? Or is it a neglected ordinance of the church? Is it a Christian discipline that I'm missing out on? Exactly where does fasting fit into the life of a Christian who wants to honor the Lord? And hopefully we'll answer some of those questions as we go along. We're going to take a little survey of fasting as it appears in the Bible. And it may surprise you to know that the word fast does not appear in the law. Does that surprise you? The word fast does not appear in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We would think fasting sounds like something that should be one of the laws or one of the the legalistic things from, from some of those passages, but it doesn't appear there. There is an expression that means the same thing, and it's found in Leviticus 16. So if you'd turn with me to Leviticus 16, take a quick look at that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And we'll start out with verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall, and note this term, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Now look at chapter 23 of Leviticus and verse 27. You'll see more of the same. Chapter 23 and verse 27. Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall, and here's that expression again, you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. So when we see in Leviticus chapter 16 that unusual expression, afflict or humble, the New International Version uses the word deny. We deny ourselves, we afflict ourselves, we humble ourselves before the Lord. That expression came to be used of fasting. It involves the sacrifice of the personal will, which gives fasting its real value. I'm sacrificing something of my will. Now, what does that mean? Sacrifice of my personal will? It means that I do not normally delight in denying myself food when I'm hungry. Do you? I don't delight in doing that when I'm hungry. I don't delight in denying myself food. In fact, I love to eat. Is there anybody else here that loves to eat? Okay. I I, I enjoy it. I, I look forward to it very, very much. And in my older years, I've had to discipline myself more and more not to eat more than I should be eating. I don't like the idea of a fast. I don't even like the idea of a slow. That's not very welcome to me. 
My idea of a healthy fast used to be only two helpings, but I've had to discipline myself, as I said. But fasting is a sacrifice of my normal desire to acknowledge a greater need to commune with God and to feed my spiritual self and to be more concerned that I'm focusing on God and spiritual things than I am on food. So I'm sacrificing, I'm denying, I'm afflicting myself temporarily so that I can get more in tune with some of the things that are spiritual. That's the goal that is here. That's why that expression is used in Leviticus. By the way, that fast in Leviticus 23 was the only required strict observance of a fast according to Hebrew law, and it took place on the Day of Atonement, and it took place just once a year. There were other examples of voluntary or non-scheduled fasts. You will see that occurring throughout the Old Testament. I won't ask you to turn to Zechariah, but in Zechariah chapter 7 and chapter 8, we read about scheduled fasts that the people brought on themselves in the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th months. They did that to remember significant occurrences, things that maybe were tragic to them, but they wanted to remember and also realize that God would help them through some of the difficult times. So those fasts were to remember events in the life of the city of Jerusalem in the temple. For example, the fourth month was when the walls of Jerusalem were breached by Nebuchadnezzar. It was the fifth month that the temple was burned. And it was the seventh month when Gedaliah, one of the governors at that time, was assassinated. And in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar began the siege of Jerusalem. So we find that fasting in the Old Testament, not something that you see over and over and over again, and you don't see it in the law except that one reference that we saw to the Day of Atonement, and so that they can remember some of the things that happened to them, the Jews instituted some other fasts. In the New Testament, we find Jesus fasting on one occasion. In Luke chapter 2, verse 37, we find Anna fasting and praying. And she was staying in the temple. She was doing that constantly. We also read of Cornelius and the apostles fasting. We have occasions where Jesus will comment about fasting. What we see most tragically, though, in the New Testament is the Pharisaical spirit that had caused the fasts to become more frequent and also more meaningless. The Pharisees, wanting to demonstrate to everyone how righteous they were, instituted more fasts. And it got something that got to be something that was really tough for the people to handle over and over again. The Pharisees fasted every Monday and Thursday. Why every Monday and Thursday? Because Moses was supposed to have ascended the mount, that's Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, on a Thursday and returned on a Monday. It was done to put a show of piety in front of the people. Jesus exposed it as a sham. You remember the Pharisees kept adding laws and rules and regulations, and it became such a burden on the people. They did the same thing with fasting. Other Jewish sects, that's S-E-C-T-S, developed a system of worship centered around fasting. Do you know how sometimes, even today, as you look around, there are churches meeting today, they will center their worship services, some of them on music, almost to the entirety of, or the exclusion of anything else. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's praying, sometimes it's the Word being preached. At that particular time, some of those sects would actually center their worship around fasting. Fasting. 
and they would make a big show of it as well. Leads to another question. Why did people fast in the Bible? And there are three main reasons why we find fasting that took place in the Bible. In the Old Testament, fasting was often the result of grief and sorrow. You see a lot of references on the screen. I won't turn to them, nor will I ask you to turn to them, but I'll remind you of some of them. I, I believe most of the folks here know your Bibles very, very well. So if I mention something, First Samuel 1-7 is when Hannah refused to eat because she was provoked by her rival Penina. Penina would constantly berate Hannah because Hannah was childless and couldn't have children. And uh, that was something that in her grief and her sorrow, Hannah would not be eating. Can you call that an official fast? Um, maybe, maybe not, but she wasn't eating as a result of her sorrow. First Samuel chapter 20. Uh, incidentally, we're going to be there in First Samuel 20 tonight. Jonathan did not eat when he was grieved at his father's treatment of David. Maybe not an official fast, but he didn't feel like eating or he didn't choose to eat, but he wasn't eating is the point. First Samuel 31 verse 13, Israel fasted and mourned seven whole days upon the death of Saul and Jonathan and the defeat of the nation in battle. Second Samuel chapter 3 verse 35, David showed his grief at the death of Abner by fasting. Abner was his enemy at the time. And the people thought if he's fasting, then he didn't have anything to do with that death and he's really sorry. In Ezra chapter 10 verse 6, Ezra mourned because of the people's sins, in particular the faithlessness of the exiles at that time. And in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, Nehemiah fasted and mourned due to the deplorable conditions of Jerusalem and the disgrace it was to God. He went to Jerusalem and he saw the walls were all still caved in. He saw that there was no protection for the city of God at that particular time. And he said this, uh, this particular phrase, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That was in sorrow. A lot of times we find people who are fasting because they're greatly in sorrow. Also, in the Old Testament, fasting often indicated a more specific kind of sorrow. That would be a sorrow for having sinned and having been disobedient to God. And so this fasting became a part of repentance. And again, some references on the screen. You'll be familiar with the stories as I relate them. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, Israel was repenting and confessing their sins along with fasting. They'd been worshiping foreign gods and idols in the land, and it was time to repent. And to show their repentance, they were fasting at that particular time. In Joel chapter 1, Israel was calling on God for healing, and they added fasting to that, healing because they had gone astray. In Jonah, you remember that Jonah carried a message to the Ninevites, and he, he needed for them to repent. They did repent, and showing their repentance, they fasted, and God relented at that particular time on the punishment he was going to give to them, the judgment. In Daniel... Daniel pleaded for forgiveness for the nation. It's a great prayer, but he did that accompanied by fasting. So why did people fast in the Bible? First of all, in grief and sorrow, and a particular grief and sorrow for their sins that they were committing. National sins and individual sins are included in that. And in both the Old and New Testament, we see a combination often of fasting and prayer to seek God's help and His guidance before big decisions and before significant events. We've done some of that here. Uh, we've called for prayer and fasting, not so people can show off by fasting, but so that uh, each one of us can enter in as we will 
without any compulsion, but uh, encouraging us to focus on God and to realize that He's the one who meets our needs. Again, some of the references that are here in Judges. There was a big decision. Eleven tribes needed to make a decision on what to do with the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin had sinned grievously. So what do we do? Should we go to war against them? They were seeking God's answer, so they prayed and they fasted, and God gave them the answer, and they had to go to war against Benjamin. Uh, in Second Chronicles 20, I'd like to ask if you'll turn with me there so we can see this together. Second Chronicles chapter 20. There was a significant event that was about to happen involving Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men, in came, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Jedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. They were in trouble. They knew they were in trouble. A huge enemy was coming against them. And so they decided to focus on the one who could provide help. They focused on God. Part of that focus involved their fasting. In Ezra chapter 8, as the exiles were returning from Babylon to go back to Palestine, it was a dangerous journey. There were a lot of enemies who were there. There wasn't any protection. So they prayed for a safe journey accompanied by fasting. Esther, remember the story in Esther, where Esther was trying to save her people. She knew it would be dangerous. She couldn't enter the king's presence necessarily without him getting upset. If he got upset, she could lose her life. And she needed to go and plead for her people. So her instructions were to gather all the Jews, hold a fast, do not eat or drink for three days. This was in order, again, to focus on where the real protection would be coming from. In Acts chapter 13, before sending Paul and Barnabas off, the early church prayed and fasted. In Acts chapter 14, before they appointed elders, they prayed and fasted. That was a significant event in the life of the church. Well, we can't study the subject of fasting without making this point, and that is that fasting is easily abused easily abused, and it's abused all through the Scriptures. The abusing that takes place in the first king's reference that is there was by Ahab and Jezebel, wicked king, wicked queen. What they decided to do, they used the pretense of a fast in order to help them conspire against Naboth and ended up killing him and stealing his vineyard, but under the pretense of a fast. Isaiah records insincere fasting. Jeremiah the fasting will do no good for this people because the fasting was not accompanied by the true heart values that God was seeking from them. In Zechariah, God said, I want justice and mercy, not fasting. You can fast all you want. You can go through all these motions you want to, but I can see the heart. And I want to see something that's real in there. 
Fasting is abused all over the Scriptures, not just when we get to the New Testament, but when we get to Luke, the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee pleading the fact that I fast twice a week, but he wasn't ready to follow the Lord. In Acts chapter 23, more than 40 men pledged not to eat or drink until Paul was dead. But Paul was rescued, and he was put into a safe place. We don't know whether those men died or not, probably not, but if they kept their word, they would have died because they weren't going to eat anything until Paul was killed. What did Jesus teach about fasting? We read a little bit in Matthew 6 earlier. Jesus spoke about the abuses of fasting, but notice this, he assumed fasting was going on. He regulated it. He didn't say anything derogatory about the practice of fasting. He even indicated that God would reward true fasting. Here's the question maybe some of you are still thinking. Is fasting required for today of Christians? Is fasting required of us? How many of you are hoping I say no? I am. (laughs) I don't know about the rest of you. Is fasting required for today? And the answer is no. It is not required. There's nothing that we've seen in the Bible that commands believers to fast. There does seem to be an assumption that fasting, which is voluntary, it's not ceremonial or a ritual or required, but there is an assumption that it will continue. When Jesus speaks of it, he says, when you fast. He doesn't say you must fast, but he says, when you fast, here's how it's supposed to be done. There's an assumption that it will continue. But I firmly believe that fasting is an example of Christian liberty. I am not condemned by God, and I should not be condemned by human beings if I do or do not fast. I need to be convinced in my own heart what God would have me to do. I'm condemned if I violate my conscience in this matter. And so I would say, in answer to the question, is fasting required for today for a Christian? Can you be an obedient Christian and not fast? Yes, I believe you can. I don't believe fasting is required for today. However, if you go back to the title of the message today, why be slow to fast? It appears that there are some great advantages in fasting. Not a command to do so, but some advantages in it. Why be slow to fast? One reason is because we have the positive examples of those Old Testament saints we were looking at and the New Testament saints, Anna, Cornelius, Jesus, the apostles, the ladies who gathered with the apostles early on in the, in the first church. We're in good company should we decide that fasting is something that I want to be a part of. There are positive examples in the Scriptures. We also have the recognition that the true spirit of fasting, whether in grief or distress as we've seen, or sorrow for sin, or asking for God's help, God's guidance, that acknowledges a submission or a sacrifice of our personal wills to God. I'm giving up something. I'm denying myself something. And that fasting tells me I'm denying myself something so that I can be in touch, I can be focused better on God than I was before. Another reason it shows our sufficiency is on God. Fasting is not done to inflict pain on our body so that God will pity us or so that God will be impressed with our sacrifice. It's making a statement to ourselves and to God that we know we're totally dependent on Him. That we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from Him, the provider of bread. So why be slow to fast? 
why not consider at least whether God would have me to do this simply so that I can be denying myself some things and being in touch with him at the same time. And should you decide to fast, remember, fasting is supposed to be anonymous. It is not something that we trumpet. It's not something that we go around telling people about. Let me test this. I'd like to have three people come up here now and just share your testimony about how fasting has really blessed your life. Do we have three volunteers? Mike's smiling. Mike knows I'm kidding. (laughs) No, we won't ask you to do that. That would be improper. It's not something we're going to flaunt, not something that we're going to brag about. Fasting is something that should be anonymous. It's between us and God. So as we, as we look at these verses, fasting, and put them into the context of the first 18 verses of chapter 6, again, it's the Lord Jesus telling us that there are some pretty good things here, giving, praying, fasting, but they become bad things when the motives of our hearts are to give ourselves credit for doing that, to play before the crowd, to play before the audience instead of the audience of one then it becomes something that's wrong. It's not for our sake we do any of these things. It's for God's glory. Now, please understand this. There are some things that you do, some good things, some righteous things, that have to be visible. They have to be seen. It's about attitude. It's not about visibility. If the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if that's evident in your life, it's going to be something that's visible. That's why it's called fruit. You can't hide that. And some of you have visible public ministry. You can't hide that either. So the point is not to go underground and become a hermit or an aesthetic and and let no one see anything ever that you do. That's not the point that is made here. The point is all about attitude. Whatever we do is for God's glory. I think the bottom line, and we keep coming back to this verse in our study of Matthew, but a great bottom line. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. That's going to happen. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That glory should never come to us. It's always to our Father in heaven. And should I gain any kind of notice or gain any kind of fame, let it go to Calvary. That's how, that's how Jesus presents it for us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to let our light shine before others, but we don't want that light to be shining on us but through us so that they can see those good works. We can't avoid that, but give glory to you, to you in heaven and not to us. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be your ambassadors, to be your representatives, but never to try to eclipse you in any way. It's not to us, it's not to us, but to you be the glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's reflect together and respond by singing 379, Take My Life, Let It Be. And I'd like us to sing stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 6. That's a little different than what's listed in the bulletin. 1, 2, 5, and 6. And stand with me as we sing.
Father, as we offer our lives and every part of us to you, should we gain any praise, let it all go to Calvary. Thank you for reminding us of that very, very important fact that we don't play to the audience of the world. We don't even play to that audience of maybe a particular person or a, a small group of people. We play to that audience of one, you yourself. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.